But I think in the NFL, what happens is things do start to get stale. That you can have a really good scheme that works well in the league for a couple of years, but teams start to catch on. And if one team stops you, then every defense after that's going to adopt those strategies. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert, Charlotte left. Don't want Punch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet left stick. Victory is a great play call. Now I think it's time we transition to the National Football League. Talk a little bit of NFL football before we before we wrap um, for the week. Uh, we I think our group text was blowing up on Sunday Night Football when we were watching Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins play the Patriots. Uh, super creative use of motions. I think he's he's got to be at the cutting edge of of everything that's happening in offensive football now. But honestly, credit to the Patriots because they they hung in there and they played really well against that they hit Miami. Them, they hit them with a three deep, three deep yeah. defense. Man, Bill Belichick he he pulls rabbits out of the hat every year, and uh, it's interesting when when uh, we were going through some stuff in the off season and looking at. I'm always intrigued by how Bill Belichick builds his roster based on kind of what's happening in football. And he has absolutely loaded up at the safety position, drafting safeties, signing safeties. I mean, they have a roster loaded with really good safeties. And I think that's really, it's the personnel that kind of allows him to be so flexible and play. I know it's a cliche to say positionless defense, but kind of this amorphous uh, group of defenders. And I know this is an offensive show. We talk about offense, but we also have to recognize ways people are defending it. And uh, I think that's that's kind of the movement, right? Defensively is having multiple safeties that can play linebacker. They can play nickel. They can play deep. Like just the flexibility positionally to move around. It seems like that's that's where Bill Belichick is is taking defense right now. And He's typically kind of on the cutting edge of that. So it's interesting to see, and it was great to see that matchup between offensive mastermind and defensive genius. It was it was pretty cool. Pretty cool to watch. Yeah, that division in general is just going to be wild this year. I mean, I know Buffalo had a tough week one against the Jets. Um, I mean, but talk about a defense that's for real. That Jets defense is really good. Um, no doubt will obviously be tough for them without Rodgers. But with, I mean, just if even if you take out the Jets, which I definitely wouldn't do yet, I mean, the Bills, the Patriots, and the Dolphins, I mean, those are three very good teams that are going to be pushing for, I mean, I think the Dolphins have to be at the top of favorites for the AFC right now. And then, I mean, you just can't forget about the Bills. I don't care how bad of a week one Josh Allen had. Um, they're they're going to get it figured out over there. And then the Patriots, 100%. you never count out Bill Belichick. You don't care that they're 0-2. They're, they're going to get things rolling. They've had two really tough matchups these first couple weeks, but the the Patriots are going to be just fine. Oh, I would And agree. they have a real offensive coordinator this year, so that makes a big difference too. <laughs> it, does difference. Huge difference. <laughs> it does help. 
Well, speaking of the Patriots offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien uh, is noticeably on the sideline this season. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in the box when he was at Alabama. I wonder why the switch. I mean, obviously, when he was the head coach of the of the Texans, he was on the field because he was the head coach and the coordinator. Um, but I'm all, I, I know we've had this conversation in the past, kind of booth versus uh, sideline. Why do we? Why do you guys think that Bill O'Brien was? in the press box at Alabama, but back on the sideline in New England. What, why, do you, why do you think that might be the case? I wonder if it's almost like a head coach preference. Um, Interesting. Because I remember, yeah. I remember when he was with New England the first time when Tom Brady was there, he was on the sideline. Because I remember they had like the infamous feud oh, yeah. on the sideline. Where yeah. they were <laughs> but I almost wonder if that's like a, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he wanted just like a perspective change maybe when he was in college or, you know, he didn't trust anybody down on the field when, or I guess he did have somebody he trusted on the field when he was at Alabama or something. I don't know. That's, that's a weird kind of thought that he's, and been, you know, with two of the greatest of all time being with Bill Belichick Literally. and Nick Saban. Yeah. I wonder if it's a preference on their end or if it's just, you know, him wanting to switch things up or if it depends on the quarterback that he has, but he's also had Tom Brady, Mac Jones and Bryce young. So it's not like he was really ever working with a <laughs> bad quarterback. So I no. don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, I, I guess it could be, cause I think Tommy Reese, he's in, I think I saw him in a box in a Raymond James stadium on, yep. on, uh, on Saturday afternoon. So I can see it being maybe, let me, let me stay away from uh, those, uh, <laughs> those conversations from Nick Saban in game, right? Let me think, let me stay away from like him. The only Alabama offensive coordinator that I can think being on the field was Lane Kiffin. Kiffin, oh, yeah, Lane, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> of course he was. Kiffin's yeah. like, I don't, was, care. I don't care. Box. <laughs> Kiffin's like, yeah, he... I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would have I I would have I bet you could uh, could have paid pretty good money to uh, be in that. Uh, to be in those meeting rooms, uh, that, that would be a great, uh, great bit of reality television. Lane Kiffin working for Nick Saban, I would imagine yeah. for sure. Another offensive coordinator that I think has been pretty impressive so far this season is, uh, is Todd Munkin in Baltimore. I think you're seeing Lamar Jackson play. I mean, obviously week one was a little sloppy, but week two, uh, he's playing really good football right now. Yeah. And it seems like some of the things that were getting a little bit stale with the Ravens offense have kind of been addressed and credit to Munkin credit to Lamar Jackson, who I think is starting to really assert himself as, you know, a, a top tier quarterback. He's always been that I think, but just his, some of the opportunities he's getting now in this offense are, are really fitting with his skill set, and he's kind of taking that next step um, as a passer in particular. So, I think the Ravens are the Ravens are going to be dangerous. They always play good defense. If they can get healthy, they're starting to look pretty explosive on the offensive side of the football. And uh, I think that a lot of the credit there goes to goes to Todd Munkin for getting getting things rolling. Yeah, I think they they might be the most efficient offense in the NFL. Like they're just yeah. 
I mean, ran for 4.8 yards per carry. And in the NFL, to run for 4.8 yards per carry. Yeah, that's pretty that's impressive. Solid. I mean, if you're constantly running for five, I mean, you could run for five yards every play and you're just going to move right down the field. I mean, obviously, I know they're not doing that, but. And just Lamar, I think he's just doing such a good job of picking defenses apart, making the right decisions. I think last week he was a little frustrated with himself. He made a couple bad decisions, but I think you can already see the com- how comfortable he was moving on from yep. week one to week two, going against a good team um, and the Bengals, you know, division rivalry. It's a big game. And he just, he looked so comfortable in that offense. I mean, and I think Odell got knocked out at one point in the game, um, but they're just kind of, they're just such a plug and play offense. They've just got, you know, talented guys on the perimeter. They don't really have that big, you know, I think that's kind of what they wanted Odell to be kind of their big, you know, big play guy. I know they've got Zay Flowers that they, you know, they move all over the place. They can take deep shots. They can get him the ball, you know, in quick screens. And I think, you know, and then, uh, J.K. Dobbins goes last goes down last week, and they just you know they plug in Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. They just they do it with you know. Obviously, I think Lamar is the guy that is going to make everything go. And then if you just put you know some solid guys around him, he's going to make it happen. And he just that's what I was so impressed with yesterday. It just seemed like every you know college is so much different than the NFL and it's like college it feels like every time you have the ball you have to score NFL it's yeah, like definitely you have to score but you also have to make the right decisions and I just feel like it was you know when when he needed to push when he needed to press a little bit he did it when he when it wasn't the time to do it he would kind of pull off a little bit and they just but I feel like they stay ahead of the chains so much that yes. they can continue to be aggressive and it's so hard to stop an offense that has a guy that can move like him when it's Third when it's third and ten, third and eleven, it's like okay, we can spy him a little bit. We can still get a little bit of rush on him. We can put some cover behind it. But when it's third and three, third and four, and you've got you know the power of like a Gus Edwards, you've got Mark Andrews, you know, going up against a linebacker or safety, it's mis mismatch whatever way you see it. You've got the speed yep. of a Zay Flowers, and then you've got the running ability of Lamar Jackson. It's like what what do you possibly? try to run there that you've got the numbers to stop yeah and i think having mark andrews back mm-hmm. you know he is such a security blanket in that Big offense difference. of he he's a chain mover as well and and i think jake to your point that receiving core is better than it's ever looked in yeah. baltimore zay flowers obviously a huge addition obj as well um but kind of a sneaky one. I mean, Nelson Aguilar is looking mm-hmm. pretty good at and kind of working in the slot a little bit. Yeah. I know that he caught a slot fade for a touchdown, um, as as we love to see on this podcast. Um, but again, it's just you're seeing, I think, the, the Todd Munkin fusing with Lamar Jackson, and you're just seeing kind of new life breathed into him a little bit. And some of the throws that he's making, he's always been capable of making, but I don't know if the offense in previous years was necessarily designed for him to uh, to work in, in some of those ways. And again, I'm not being critical of the Ravens offense because they were one of the top offenses in the league. I actually thought Greg Roman's run game design was unbelievable. I mean, so good. And he did take advantage of some skill sets, and they obviously weren't as as good at the receiver position. But I think in the NFL, what happens is things do start to get stale. 
that you can have a really good scheme that works well in the league for a couple years, but teams start to catch on. And if one team stops you, then every defense after that's going to adopt those strategies. And so it's really hard to stay ahead of the curve. And, you know, it's interesting just thinking about it from a big picture play caller perspective. Like you can't have in, in some ways in college, you can have a system, right? I run a system and, you know, since we only see teams once a year and we can recruit better players than other people, we can be really successful in the NFL. There's so much parity that you need to keep learning and you need to keep adapting. And I think if we're being, if we're being honest, like I think that's kind of what John Harbaugh saw. It wasn't that the offense was a bad offense or a dumb offense or uncreative or anything like that. I think sometimes it just gets a little stale and you're, you just have to make an adjustment. It's not saying someone's a bad coach. Um, so anyway, that's kind of my read on it. I think Todd Monk is doing a great job, but I think the key in the NFL right now is that you have to keep learning, keep adapting. And I think that's something that really drew, uh, really drew Harbaugh to Todd Munkin to begin with was his diversity of experience in, you know, he, he's done stuff in the air raid. He's been in the NFL. He did more pro style stuff at Georgia. Like he has the, the tool belt to add more and more and more to the offense over time. And I think you just need to be able to do that in the NFL if, if uh, you're going to be successful over the long term. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to develop that offense. Yeah. I, yeah speaking, I of a, speaking of a team going through a little bit of a change, Rashad, talk to me about your bucks. Ooh, look at Tempe Buccaneers, right? Um, so two and O, you know, two and O and I'm, I'm a little shocked. You know, I didn't think I'll be really excited about Baker Mayfield replacing Tom Brady. But um, having the new OC who was with uh, the Seahawks, his name is escaping me right now. He was with the Seahawks last week, last year. Dave Canellis. Dave Canellis. Canellis, thank you. Yeah, Dave Canellis. So, like, um, did a great job with Dino last year. And um, now they're kind of down up the Bucks with uh, the Bucks have great weapons, right? When you have Mike Evans, you know, who had nine straight thousand yard receiving, uh, one thousand yard receiving uh, seasons, then you have Chris Godwin and they have guys right that can that could that can get that can stretch the ball downfield, work to work underneath, and the the Bucks the little tempo they're doing a little tempo. They're winning. Uh, you know they have Baker who feels comfortable in his offense. Usually Baker kind of struggles where he has to sit in the pocket. And I know in both games, yes, he's still like scrambling. Yes, he's still like doing sprint outs, but he's comfortable in front of the pocket. It's only two wins. It's only two games. So a lot of things can happen. But proud that uh, that Baker's playing well and that the offense is just like, just humming right now. Yeah. They, I think they've definitely been a, an early season surprise and uh, it's interesting. You know, I think when you see certain offenses have success, like obviously we've seen, we saw kind of this renaissance of uh, Geno Smith with, I believe Shane Waldron was the OC is the OC with the, the Seahawks and Dave Canellis works, has worked with Pete Carroll forever, comes over to Tampa Bay and, kind of doing the same thing right is like creating a a quarterback friendly system and if you think about it bucks receivers versus seahawks receivers like kind of a similar skill set right you got your big target um in D, uh, dk metcalf and then mike evans and then you got kind of uh more of your kind of speed speed guy maybe tyler lockett and godwin and so it's it's interesting to see like kind of mapping those personnel groupings onto each other and then 
a quarterback who let's not forget was a number one overall pick and had some good years in the league and took the didn't he take the browns to the playoffs twice at least once maybe twice um so you know he's he's not like the worst player of all time and so i think a lot of the narrative coming out of that bucks training camp because we all saw it on twitter right it was like they're not going to complete a pass and you know good for good for the bucks for getting ahead of getting ahead of the schedule you know i think getting ahead of the schedule in the nfl Mm -hmm. all the wins count the same it doesn't matter who you beat right (laughs) so there's some really good football teams sitting at zero and two right now we talked about the patriots chargers like there's some really good football teams that are zero and two right now that are going to have to kind of climb out of that and uh the bucks being able to sit at two and oh again it's all about it's all about getting ahead of the schedule and winning those early season games so you can play from ahead and I mean, credit to the Bucks for for being able to do that. That's for sure. Well, Talk about like you know we're talking about guys fitting into a certain offense. And then there's kind of like the other side of it, like the mental makeup of a team. Like I think Baker thrives in that underdog role where like yes, he's doubted, and I think this is like the perfect situation for him because they came in, nobody had any expectations of him. They're like, Baker's going to be terrible. And I think, I mean, you saw, you know, some of the clips of him, you know, like talking smack with people and everybody last week. Like, that's what he loves. He loves those opportunities in a close game. Like, he's a quarterback that he will go put his head down and try to run some dude over on the sidelines where you see other guys stepping out of bounds or sliding or whatever. And then, two, I mean, it's an extremely winnable division. I mean, I think the Saints are probably going to be their biggest. I mean, the Falcons have looked so, you know, good so far, too. They're 2 0 as well but i think really the saints are going to be um i mean we'll see how they do against the panthers tonight i guess this will come out after the panthers and saints game um comes on but i i mean if i had to guess i'd say the saints are probably going to take that one i still think the panthers have a little ways to go but i mean it's an extremely open division there's no like clear-cut favorite by any means so yeah, and the, you know, and the NFC is definitely more open than AFC this year. And um, yeah, and I I want to take this time to talk about the Eagles and Vikings game. I don't know if you guys caught that on Thursday night, but mm-hmm. it was a unique game because I mean, the game the score was a lot closer. The game, the score, like the Eagles won by a touchdown, but the Eagles had pretty much had control of that game. The Vikings had like four four turnovers, three turnovers in the first half, and four total. But um. Watching that game for the Eagles, for their 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 play calling is very unique because it seemed like <laughs> it seemed like uh, the OC was like in crisis. Okay, who, like I want to say in the second in the third quarter, third quarter drive, third quarter second drive, they went from going from because Swift was having a great game, right? Swift was just running all over that over the Vikings defense and he had like seven yards here, ten yards here, but a lot of like five yard, a lot of five yard carries, which is great for ball control for our offense. But um, what I thought was unique for the Eagles was they would go from 10 personnel doing empty to doing 12 to tight end wing. And it would go like back and forth each play. And it seemed like the play call was like, let's just do duo because we're killing teams over, over our O-line. We're killing the Vikings for O-line. Then I felt like maybe with the whole like, you know, um, A.J. Brown situation, maybe he was like asking for the ball. So maybe the, the O.C. is kind of throwing him a bone, trying to get him involved and empty. But it was very unique to see a team legit go from like for a seven play drive, go from. 10 to 12, 10 to 12, 10 to 12 personnel. And um, with Swift running so well, I think he ultimately landed on just staying in 12, doing duo, doing power yeah, schemes. And they have, you know, they have the O-line to do it. And um, what's great about like about the Eagles for for that game was 
Last year they had Miles Sanders. Last year they had Boston Scott. But DeAndre Swift, a totally different guy compared to those two guys. And no, no you know, no shade to them. And it showed on uh, Thursday night. And one thing I noticed as well is that teams are they spent all offseason uh, figuring out ways to kind of like contain Jalen. And Jalen was taking some shots on Thursday night. So I'm intrigued to see how the Eagles move forward as identity as an offense. And with a guy like DeAndre Swift, it seems like they can kind of like let him tote the rock more than they would with Jalen, like probably less QB designs of Jalen. I felt like last season they had probably 12, to, it seemed to me like 10 to 12 plays that were like QB yeah, design run plays. They on him a lot for sure. Yeah, they so, did. So hopefully they kind of like lighten that up for him and let, let DeAndre be their guy and, you know, get the ball to their, to their great receiving corpse. Yeah. I, I, th- the point you made, Rashad, is is an interesting one. You know, I know there was a, a moment where it seemed like AJ Brown was kind of upset. And one thing that I've learned as a play caller is a really dangerous spot to be in is when you feel like you need to force feed a guy. Uh, that that can be a really challenging uh, situation to be in as a play caller because you feel a lot of pressure to get a certain player involved. And it can take you out of the rhythm of kind of what's working on a given game. And so I think, I think it's, it, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like, I, I'll use like a business example, right? Like when you're running a business, you, you know, you, you have a balance sheet, right? And month to month, you may have big gains or maybe some losses in there. So, and so, so on and so forth. But if you look at the end of the year, you know, hopefully you're turning a, a large profit and, I think sometimes from a statistical standpoint, it's hard to get players to understand that within the flow of certain games, like they're not going to have a statistically great game, but it should even out over the course of the season with the priority that you put on them in, in the offense. And so, you know, AJ Brown might have a game where, Hey, we're just, we're just hammering somebody with running duo behind this big offensive line. And, you know, you may only have a few catches, but there's going to be a week where you go for 200 because, you know, teams aren't able to, um, put as much attention on you. So I think it's it's really difficult as a play caller to get someone to understand how much of a priority they are within the offense, even though in that particular game, they may not be getting the touches they want. Um, but I've learned kind of the hard way that force-feeding particular players uh, is usually not good for the team overall because you're not taking what the defense is giving you. You're really trying to force force something in there. And uh, it's if you have a tendency to force feed, defenses I think can really take advantage of that, and uh, you know it becomes psychological warfare a little bit, where they're just going to say, "Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and try to force feed this guy. We're going to take him out of the game completely." And I think that's what Bill Belichick is a, is a master of. He says, "You know, you you want to get this guy X amount of touches. Well, we're going to make life miserable for you." And uh, I think maturing as a play caller for me meant being okay with spreading the ball around and not having to force feed one particular player. Yeah. I think one of the most important sayings for a coordinator and a quarterback is take what the defense gives you. And yeah, I mean, just as somebody who's got AJ Brown as my fantasy receiver, I kept watching him, you know, (laughs) hoping he was getting the ball. But every time I'd look at him as a single receiver, he's got a corner with a safety over the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, and that's, I think, a little bit of what Jalen's frustration was, is like, hey, man, 
look at what you're getting. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. throw you the ball in double coverage when we're running for seven, eight yards a pop, and they're giving me Devontae Smith on the other side one-on-one. And right, it's like you right. said, the defense is always going to choose kind of one or two things to take away, and obviously their game plan was, well, we're not going to let A.J. Brown beat us. And so, yes, as an offensive coordinator, there can be a little more creative ways to get a guy a ball, but if you've got other things that are working, it's like, you know, the – if you look at the flip side, the Vikings have to get Justin Jefferson involved or their offense isn't going to work. Yeah, so it doesn't work at all. There, you can see Justin Jefferson, he's moving all over the place. You know, they're putting him in different spots. They're finding every possible way they can get the ball in his hands. But it's like the Eagles aren't really built that way. They don't – A.J. Brown can have two touches and Devontae Smith can go get, you know, 11 to 12 on the other side and then they can pound the rock and you're not going to stop them. And then you still have to think about – Jalen Hurts' legs as well in all of that mix. So he's just got to understand as a receiver, like, yes, this is just like you said, Dan, it, it might not be might night, but there's going to be other nights where, and every defense is going to look at it and say, well, we can't leave Devontae Smith one-on-one anymore. We've got to, you know, start rolling some coverage right. with him. And then right. boom, now AJ Brown's getting one-on-one. So that's, that's the beauty of having two dominant receivers like that is, at a certain point, each guy is going to kind of get their own. Do you think Kirk Cousins or Kevin O'Connell really wanted 28 yards rushing? Like, like it's Not great that no. Justin Jefferson went off and Kirk had almost 400 yards passing, but like no quarterback and no coordinator wants 28 yards rushing. Like no. That is a that is You're a typically bad see deal. that in the last column when you've got twenty eight yard rush. That is a bad deal, and it's it, yeah, and I think it's just it's important to remember that you know I, I think sometimes like fantasy football in the NFL has has kind of an impact on the way guys think about their performances. Unfortunately, and you know we all like to say like uh, it's just no outside noise and whatever, but um, it, you get. It, you get so much attention on individual stats because of fantasy football in a way that doesn't really affect college football in the same type of way. But high school football, man, I'll tell you what, people keep track of their stats. Like, like, <laughs> like every kid I've ever coached has been pretty dialed in on their stats. And uh, sometimes it's hard to separate out performance from statistics because there's times when you're maybe not having a big statistical game, but your presence on the field has a huge impact on the way the defense is playing us. And so I've had to tell, you know, running backs in the past, like, listen, they're stacking the box because you're such a good player. And that means everybody else is getting touches because they're not even respecting the other players on the field or at times telling a receiver, Hey, every time they're, you know, they're dropping, they've got a corner underneath and a safety over the top. That means there's, opportunities in the run game for us so I think it's important for a coach to express how value is created on the football field apart from statistics and it's just a challenging game to do that with because you know it it is such a stats driven game and um, it, it can be hard to explain to a player the value they provide when you can't attach a statistic to it which is why Ultimately, I think offensive line is the most um, most respectable position in football because they really have no stats attached to their name, but obviously the impact they have on the game is uh, exponentially higher than just about any other position, even though they don't get the 
they never get the respect they deserve, of course. But oh yeah, yeah, and it, and it showed for the O line in that Vikings game, right? Because you know they had an interest left tackle, and it just showed when it came to just uh, running the ball, they were never able to just get ahead of the sticks, and it's just posing their will to the Eagles' uh, front seven, right? So, um, yeah, I know uh, you know stats wise, you know, Kirk Cousins has a good game, but you know they end up losing, right? So the point is. I think he would take having 200 yards passing and two touchdowns and a win over close to 400 yards in a loss. I don't know how you guys felt. Well, watching the Eagles and Vikings game, the whole time I felt like I was like, I feel like I know Kurt. I feel like I, I know uh, Kevin O'Connell. I feel like I know these guys. Yeah, I was yeah. kind of like, I secretly was kind of like hoping, as weird as this sounds, I was like, I hope to see like maybe like a, a clip of them talking at some point during this game. And for based off watching, you know, the quarterback show on Netflix, a part of me felt like, I was watching like two friends, you know, that I knew very well, which obviously I don't know these guys, but um, I, I, it felt like you, you feel as a, as a viewer that you understand Kirk better. Cause we probably know right now, you know, he's working on that recovery method. Right. And on Tuesday, he's having his day off, you know, spending that quality time with his wife. So I kept thinking that throughout the whole game. I was like, hope Kirk pulls out or hope he pulls this out or hope to see some like clips of him talking to, to, the, to his uh, head coach and talking strategy. Yeah, no, it, it is cool, and I think the more the more we can get kind of under the helmet with these guys, the better. I think the documentaries obviously show that. I I don't know about you guys, but I love the F one series Drive to Survive, and I I'm I've never watched an F one race in my entire life, but it's just I think getting the storylines attached to the competition is is a lot of fun, and yeah, I mean I I think we're moving in the direction of players being able to like use their voice more now than ever and i think that's good for good for the game and good for the fans and uh yeah i think it'll it'll just be interesting moving forward to to hear more of these stories and get an inside look that's what we all want we want an inside look we want to know what's going on uh in the facility we want to know what's going on at home and and how we can uh kind of view these guys more clearly um so i, I think all that is cool and one when i think about the nfc east this is kind of a pivot here but like when i think about the nfc east like you obviously got the cowboys maybe the best defense in football the eagles look strong to start uh the washington commanders kind of coming out of nowhere to be right. 2 and 0 um uh, they were getting absolutely pounded by the broncos it was 21 to 3 and I flipped the game on just to kind of see what Sean Payton was doing, see what Eric Bieniemy was doing. And there was a really kind of ballsy situation where they, I think it was fourth down, fourth and goal. They went for it, hit the tight end uh, to get their first touchdown. They were down 21 to three at the time. And then they get the, the penalty. So it was a, it was kind of a targeting on the Broncos safety, Kareem Jackson, and then they go for two, they get the two-point conversion, and then they get the ball back, and then they kick a field goal. And so really quickly over this course of, you know, two minutes probably, two minutes of game time, they go from down 21 to three to going into the half 21 to 14. And I think the two-point conversion was really, really smart because you get the penalty, you go for two, so now, and then you kick a field goal, so now it's a one-possession game. Um, it's a seven-point game. And everything, it seemed like, in that game shifted in that sequence. And I know, you know, Bill Belichick, 
disciples will will talk a lot about the middle eight, right? Like the first last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And uh, I know sometimes um, it gets a little bit overblown, but I think the momentum that the that Washington was able to establish really kind of carried over into the second half. They end up winning thirty five to thirty three, um, scoring two touchdowns in the fourth to win it. And I'll tell you what, like Eric Bieniemy seems to have that offense in a really good place right now. Sam Howell seems to be playing with a lot of confidence. I think you're seeing a lot of those Kansas City concepts coming over to Washington, and they're operating pretty well. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, I know the Broncos are 0-2 and struggling a little bit, but could Washington potentially be in the mix in that division, or is that completely out of the question and it's just a feel-good story to a no to start the year? I think I think the the Cowboys and the Eagles are definitely the head of that division. I think they're, you know, kind of tier one, tier two type deal. Um I mean even the Giants ended up pulling one out yesterday, but that was they also did. against the tanking Cardinals, so who knows how much that <laughs> means. Um but yeah, I mean for for Washington to go into Denver and play I mean, Denver who's known really for their defense, um to go put up 35 on them. Like you said, I think situationally they just played better than Denver did. I think Denver kind of got up. They did the classic, like, okay, well, we're just going to, you know, kind of run some clock here, kind of mail it in a little bit. We should, you know, get some stops on defense. And that's not what happened. You know, Washington stayed aggressive right. and Denver didn't. And so then whenever Denver ended up getting behind, it was hard for them to kind of get back in that mode of, oh, shoot, now we're losing by 11. Like, they went from up 18 to down by 11 so fast. Like, it just, it all happened so fast. Crazy. That it, and like you said, they took, you know, Washington took advantage of, you know, that middle part of the game so well that, you know, Denver just, they didn't even get their chance to get the hand, their hands on the ball by the time they did. You know, the game's tied and everything's completely changed. So, and I think that the defense they have on that, you know, they gave up 33, but it was just kind of like, you know, the Broncos were hitting some deep shots. It's not like they were like getting pounded all the way down the field, you know, just giving up sustained long drives. They just kind of hit some deep shots over the top of them. And that's stuff that you can fix. And they did throughout the course of the game. So while I don't know if they're at the tier of, you know, the Eagles and the Cowboys right now, they're definitely not a team that you look at and you just go like, oh yeah, we'll check that one off as a win for this week. Yeah, uh, they've definitely surprised me. And I think, you know, I, I obviously living in North Carolina when Mac got the job and Sam Howell being the quarterback in North Carolina, I spent a lot of time over there at spring practice and fall camp and, you know, watching him throw and, you know, talking with Phil Longo and he, legitimately has one of the best deep balls I've ever seen in person. Um, and he, he does play with a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. He brought a different edge to that North Carolina team when he was there. Um, I wasn't necessarily a hundred percent sure if that would translate into the NFL, but it, it so far it really has. He's playing, playing really good football. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's paired well with Eric bien so far and, It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, like I said, I think there's really good football teams that are sitting at 0-2 right now and maybe some teams that we didn't expect that are sitting at 2-0 and right now. And it'll be interesting to see how things kind of level off throughout the season. 
I think a team that's sitting at 2-0 and right now that is not surprising to us is the San Francisco 49ers. I know we talked about it last week. They are absolutely loaded with weapons everywhere. Brock Purdy seems to be really confident in that offense. Christian McCaffrey seems to be kind of taking that next level step. Another big game for him on the ground. But I was actually, there's a lot to be impressed with with the 49ers. I was actually pretty impressed with the Rams and what they're doing offensively. Now, I don't think they would, I don't think they love the fact that Matthew Stafford had to throw the ball 55 times um, this past week. But, you know, they're kind of playing with a bunch of random receivers out there. Now they're doing well, right? Like Puka Nakua has 15 catches, right? It's like, it's, it's unbelievable, but they're not necessarily playing with an all-star cast of receivers, at least what we would have thought of as an all-star cast going into the season. Uh, But it seems like Sean McVay has them playing really confidently. I love the concepts that they're running, um, prying guys open. Um, They're spacing the field really well. And, Matthew Stafford is playing really confidently, it seems like. Now, obviously, the turnovers hurt them, um, and it seemed like there may have been some miscommunication along the way kind of later in the game, but early on they looked looked like they were playing really clean. So I think the Rams are one of those teams where it's like they, they could be back in the mix. Uh, I think Sean McVay has – he looks reinvigorated. I think last year he looked – pretty miserable at times and he looks reinvigorated and when Stafford went down early yeah I think when Stafford went down it was like okay we're screwed uh and you could kind of you could kind of sense that it seemed like the season got really heavy for him but he seems like he's he seems like he's having fun again you know I know they lost but um he's he's dialing it up he's dialing it up and and uh I think he has continued to grow as a play caller um, obviously came into the league with running that wide zone under center with Jared Goff a lot. And now it's like they're spreading it out. They're an empty a lot. They're using, they call it Ollie protection where the running back. So like if they're an empty, they'll bring the running back into the a gap, um, right at the line of scrimmage and he'll block the, the bonus rusher. If like you're getting six man pressure or something in empty and yeah, I mean, they're just doing some good stuff on offense. They were one of my favorite teams to study when I was going through my my empty study in the offseason. Um, Stafford in empty, I think, is is one of the scariest things you could face as a defense just with his arm strength, his release, his kind of acumen and all that. And, uh, yeah, I think the Rams, while the roster doesn't look as loaded as it has in years past, seems like they're they're going to get the ball rolling one way or another. And if they do get Cooper Cup back, Look out! They could be, they could be a real threat on offense for sure. Yeah, Dan. I mean, you said it earlier. When you know you're all you're in the NFL, you're obviously always challenged. You're not ever running away with games. You know, fifty six to zero every week. Um, but I think the injuries and the challenges that they have had on offense that has kind of made Sean McVay almost. I wouldn't say reinvent because he hasn't really gone away too much from what you know. He loves to do, but he's found new ways to get guys that aren't your yeah. typical, you know, stud receivers in the NFL the ball. And like you said, they had Cooper Cup back to the mix. I mean, they're a real threat in the NFC, and they're not a team that's, you know, going to go away easily. And when you got Aaron Donald on the other side on defense, you've always got to feel pretty good. Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, for them, I was extremely impressed that they, you know, kept it as close with the 49ers as they did. And, 
for as long as they did. I mean, you look at the score, you could say, oh, maybe they kind of came back at the end, but it was like that for a while. I mean, it was a back and forth game until it very much was, was yeah. 17, 17 until Stafford threw a pick or something. And I think that just goes back to them, you know, still not being able to run the ball probably as well as yeah. they want. But I think when you do bring Cooper cup back into the mix, I think that gives you so much more as an offense you can do. And I think it will open the passing game for them. I think, Defenses are looking at them right now like, yeah, we'll give you, you know, these passes to these other guys. But when Cooper Cup, Cup comes back into the mix, it's like, okay, we really have to honor what this guy can do. He's, yes. you know, he's a game changer on offense. And I think that'll kind of open up the box for them in the run game a little bit. And then back to the 49ers point, I said the Ravens were the most efficient offense in the NFL and Ravens with one a going to the 49ers because they just, there's just too many ways that they can beat you. Brock Purdy's never going to, you know, get you beat. He's, you know, he's going to protect the football. There's too many guys that he can get the ball to for him to ever feel like, Oh, I need to force it on this play. And then I don't know. Let me see. Yeah. He never, I guess he ran three times yesterday, but he's also one of those guys that, when it comes to later in the season or in those playoff games, he's a guy that if the pocket breaks down, he can take off and go get he you. He can. He can make something happen. You know, happen. 10 or 12 as well. But, I mean, McCaffrey, 20 for 116, and Debo, 5 for 38. I mean, you're rushing for, you know, nearly six a carry. <laughs> just, it's crazy. And then you it's add crazy. in, you know, Brandon IU, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey in the passing game, Debo Samuel in the passing game. It's just like... How do you stop it? <laughs> well, and I and think too one of the best offensive lines in football. Yeah, no, yeah. W- without a doubt, you get to run behind Trent Williams. It's that's a good thing. Um, I think one of the interesting things, you know, me and Rashad have had this conversation a lot with our group at the high school level, is the idea of blocking on the perimeter, particularly those receivers blocking, and how we we uh, we have kind of come up with this term, uh, a hockey assist, where. You know, if you get a block that springs your teammate for a touchdown, like that's going to be something we celebrate more than more than anything in our our locker room. And so we're really trying to encourage those guys to block for each other um, more effectively and more aggressively. And when I think about the 49ers in the run game, there's so much good stuff they do. But I think blocking on the perimeter, obviously the offensive line does a good job. But if you think about blocking on the perimeter, think about the kind of physical guys they have. You have George Kittle, obviously, who's fully bought in to blocking in the run game, obviously. Um, and then you've got Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, H-back, kind of do-it-all guy who's a great blocker as well. But then you keep going. It's like if Christian McCaffrey has the ball in his hand, he's got Debo Samuel, Jawan Jennings, Brandon Ayuk out there, like all physical guys that are willing yeah. to stick their nose in there and block. And so it just it's one of those things where I think I, I heard um, – it might have been the Niners offensive line coach. I don't know if he's still there. Chris Forrester, he was talking about how, you know, if you block if you block it up in the NFL, you'll get four yards. But if you want to go beyond that kind of four-yard clip, then you need to have receivers blocking safeties. You need to have guys really digging linebackers out and really getting after it. And the 49ers are a team that they buy into blocking on the perimeter. And mm-hmm. it's a difference maker for them. And uh, it's it's cool to see, man. It's cool to see those guys down the field blocking for each other. And uh, it's a great lesson for young receivers. I don't know if we have any 
young receivers listening to the podcast, but one of the best ways to stand out, if you're a receiver, stand out to your coaching staff is downfield blocking. If you get after it and you're aggressive in downfield blocking, they'll reward you with the football. I can promise you that. They will reward you with the football for, for doing the dirty work. Yeah, I agree. And when it comes to downfield blocking for wide receivers, if you feel technique-wise you're not where you want to be, it's okay to talk to your receivers coach and your O-line coach, talk to your low-line coach that can kind of give you the tools you need to do when it comes to just your feet and uh, your hand placement and just get that work after get that work going after practice. Because it's always great. We want receivers catching the ball and running great routes, right? But if you add that third dimension, which is um, blocking, you will never leave the field. Yeah, I yeah, think what see. I love so much about – sorry, Dan. Um, no, no, no. Go for it. Go for it. What I love so much about – I think the – you know, to your point about George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk, I think the rest of the – they – you know, sometimes the tight end is kind of separate from – the tight end and the fullback are almost kind of separate from the skill players – but because yeah. of the way their offense is built with all these hybrid type guys they have, I think the rest of the guys really take on the personality of George Kittle and Kalyushek. And so it's like you can see it's almost like it almost makes me think of like I don't know, like a power up when you're playing one of those fighting games. It's like, you know, the more that you beat a guy <laughs> down, like the more energy you get. I feel like that's how this offense is. Like the more they block and they beat guys down, like the more energy they get, and then that's when all of a sudden you see the big because yes. what I think is so cool about them is they're, they're not one-dimensional in the aspect of, you know, we're just going to, like, pound you the entire game. You'll see them doing, I mean, shoot, they'll run, you know, orbit motion with Christian McCaffrey, throw him a backwards pass, and they're throwing a double pass. Like, they're, yep. they've yep. got some flash to them, too. Like, they're not just going to pound you the entire game. Like, they'll, they definitely have, you know, some flash to that offense. But at the same time, I feel like it starts with, hey, we're just going to run the ball, you know, all over you and then whenever you finally get tired of it and you start stacking the box that's when we're just going to start throwing at you know random things at you from all over the place and you just can't stop it yeah well and i think i think they're they're kind of the 49ers are kind of demonstrating we talked a little bit at the beginning about bill belichick and positionless defense in a way the Niners are kind of positionless offense, right? It's like yeah. Christian McCaffrey, he can line up in the backfield and run the ball. He can split out and catch the ball. Debo Samuel can split out and catch the ball, can be in the backfield and run the ball. check can block, he can catch. Kittle can block, he can catch. I mean, everybody can do kind of everything. And I think moving forward in the NFL and, and honestly college football as well, it's like the players that are going to end up separating themselves as the most valuable to the team are going to be able to do more than just one thing. You have to. I mean, you can't just be the the receiver that, you know, I, I run some routes and I just kind of hang out on the perimeter. You know, in order to be uh, a, a big part of an offense, I think you have to do more than one thing. Uh, and running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield are highly valued and as they should be. And so I think that's a way to get people touches. It's like Debo had six catches and five carries. So you got Debo 11 touches. And to get a receiver 11 touches without putting him in the backfield at all is kind of challenging. So yeah. it's cool to see kind of the way that they, again, I don't think they're force-feeding touches, but getting touches to their most dynamic players in a variety of ways, I think they're doing a really good job with that. And Kyle Shanahan stays on the, uh, on the offensive there for sure. He's, he's killing it so far this season. Yeah, they're going to be a tough out. <laughs> 
moving forward. Which no doubt is about it. Bad news for me. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt about it. Well, that's uh, that's kind of our rundown of of college football yesterday, the NFL today. Uh, as always, we appreciate you guys following along and and being invested in the way um, that you are to to football in general. Uh, and I think we are starting to see some of those trends emerge and we will continue to track those throughout this, the course of the season. Um, feel free to follow along on social media. We're going to try to get some more stuff going at the play callers club on Twitter. And, uh, and yeah, if you can leave us a rating or review on the podcast app, it helps us continue to grow. Feel free to share this as well. And, uh, every week we'll come back with more and, uh, and keep you guys up to date on what's going on in offensive football. We appreciate you. Victory is a great play call.